0: Today is National Ice Cream Day, so I'm going to start off this episode by asking you Jason, what is your favorite ice cream brand and f- well, we'll actually first start with flavor and then share like where have you had the best experience of that flavor in your life? It could be a few different places. It could be local places in Los Angeles, your hometown of Detroit, it could be national brands that you can buy in the store.
1: Well, I mean my all-time flavor and there's been some contenders for the throne, but Definitely all time is mint chocolate chip. That's been ride or die my entire life. And yeah, I mean, of course, the first experience I can remember with mint chocolate chip is, of course, Baskin Robbins. I mean, growing up in Detroit, we had Baskin Robbins all over the place. Or maybe it was just my child brain, but it seemed like we had a lot of locations around where I lived. And yeah, I just remember my first ever love affair with an ice cream flavor was mint chocolate chip, and it persists to this day. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Rocky Road, I love cookies and cream, I love pistachio i've actually been eating a lot of ice cream lately (laughs) it's the birthday season it's the birthday month so there's been a lot of ice cream but honestly what has persisted whitney mint chocolate chip is like ride or die and i think i think my favorite current mint chocolate chip is probably from coco bella creamery here in la i think their mint chocolate chip they got the color right they got the chocolate chunks right they got the mint it's not too much mint flavor I really feel like Coco Bella right now is my number one mint chocolate chip right now.
0: I had a feeling you were going to say that. I know you really love Coco Bella, and I agree. It's really lovely, and it's amazing because there's so many places that you can get non dairy ice cream from. We've talked about this so many times on the podcast how our experience as vegans is like constantly changing, (laughs) and it's such an amazing thing that plant based eating has become a trend because it's increased the availability versus. The first few years, and and for you, Jason, probably the first five to 10 years that you were vegan, it's like, where would you get these things? And it would be like soy ice cream. (laughs) I remember my first few experiences with anything non dairy, cheese, ice cream. I mean, it was basically all soy based. And then you would start to see almond growing and you could find that more often, but it was like soy and almond were your only options, but it seemed like every place predominantly focused on soy. Remember that? Like the cafes always had soy milk. That was your only option. And then they eventually had almond milk and now they have oat milk and hemp milk and all these other things. And I remember ice cream shops, it was like so exciting if they would have soy ice cream, but I never really liked soy ice cream. Did you?
1: It was kind of like, it's better than nothing.
0: <laughs> yep, that's basically.
1: <laughs> but I think that that whole segment of the ice cream industry, in terms of you know non-dairy options, it feels to me like it's followed a similar trajectory to a lot of products in terms of innovation and flavor and consistency and I guess just quality because plant-based options in the 90s, you know, I know in the early 2000s is when you you switched over to a plant-based and vegan lifestyle. When I was
0: Me? Early 2000s. Was that right? Yeah. I guess that's right. Yeah. Wow. It feels like so much longer. I was like I felt like it was in the 90s, but no, I, you're right, it was 2003.
1: Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, I remember in the mid 90s, when I was just experimenting with it, right? Which was like 95, 96 is when I I really started to look at, okay, I want to get off dairy, I want to shift away from it. It was just a total experimental phase for me. I had no, and I've told this story many, many times, you know, I, I never had a goal or an intention of becoming vegetarian or vegan or plant-based. I just noticed that the more I took away animal products and the more I replaced it with plant-based products, the better I felt, you know, emotionally, physically but i remember that in the mid 90s with 95 96 we had one whole foods in the state of michigan and it was in ann arbor which was an hour and 10 minute drive and so there were three places i remember going to get non dairy products and and all these things and it was it was the whole foods in ann arbor cuz it was it was mind blowing like 95 like whole foods was like what is this place it was like a playground it was like a playland for food And then we had Zerbo's, which you've been to on one of the trips to Michigan, (laughs) Zerbo's. And then we also had the fruit cellar, which was kind of like the scary health food store in Detroit. It was like, oh yeah, this place has been open since the 60s. It looks like it's been open since the 60s. It smells like it's been open since the 60s.
0: Wait, speaking of which, didn't you take me to an ice cream shop in Detroit with your mom? I swear we went to one. Maybe your mom wasn't with us, but I think she was. I remember a huge ice cream shop that we went to.
1: An ice cream shop in Detroit? Yeah,
0: Yep. It's all coming back to me right now.
1: I'm blanking. I don't know.
0: I feel very confident that it was an ice cream shop. And it was like really large. And there were two different sections. We, maybe it wasn't specifically ice cream, but we had ice cream. This doesn't ring a bell at all.
1: Nope. No. Huh. Okay. Maybe it'll come by the end of the podcast. But my point was with all of these locations that I would go to and get these products, Yeah. Back then it was like the non-dairy milk was, I think there were two choices back. Actually, no, this wasn't even out yet. It was Eden soy. It was rice dream.
0: Oh yeah. Right. That was it. And rice dream makes non-dairy products still. I mean, they had like their, the rice ice creams and stuff, right?
1: Yeah. They had like, I mean, what was back then? They had like, they had the rice ice cream, the tofu Cuties, of course. I mean, Tofutti has been around since the dawn of time.
0: Right. That's OG. Yeah. And those are actually, they've stood the test of time. There's, well, I haven't had them in a long time, but <laughs> what I remember of them is that they're still pretty legit. Like they were a little ahead of their time in terms of a, a vegan dessert.
1: Yeah, they were. And I guess my point though, is if I look back on the limited number of options and It's all relative, right? I mean, I was just excited to have an option other than dairy milk because a little bit more background, I've been lactose intolerant my whole life. And as a kid, I would avoid it because my mom realized I was lactose intolerant. But as a teenager, whatever, you know, you're like, okay, everyone's having ice cream and eating whatever. So I I would eat dairy. I would just put up with the stomach aches and put up with the headaches and do it. But once I found that there were, oh my God, there's alternative cheese and there's alternative milks and blah, blah, blah. But if I think back on it, They weren't good. (laughs) They just weren't good. So my whole point in you bringing up all these options now with vegan ice cream, non-dairy ice cream is in the 25 years since I started experimenting with this lifestyle, it's unbelievable how far it's come in terms of innovation and taste and flavor. And to the point now where non-vegan friends, this is kind of always the bar, right? You take them out to a restaurant, you take them to an ice cream shop. I've taken a lot of people to Yoga earth. And also Coco Bella, which to me are like the two, my two favorite ice cream places here in LA.
0: And don't forget Salt and Straw and Van Leeuwen.
1: True, true that, true that.
0: Where did those come in? So if you had to rank ice cream options in LA, how would you rank them?
1: Mm. Well, it's a bit tough because Yoga Earth is vegan soft serve and Coco Bella is hard scoop. To me, in my mind, they're tied. I can't pick one or the other because stylistically they're so different and they're both amazing in their own ways. I think those to me are, are just tied for the top. I mean, I, I spend my ice cream dollars at those places and then I'd have to say Van Leeuwen after that and then Salt and Straw fourth and then probably Jenny's, even though they don't have a ton of flavors, I do like what I've tried there. That's like my top five. Yeah.
0: Jenny's chocolate is really good. See, this is what I mean. We have a lot of great options and I wonder if Jenny's is available nationally. Okay, that's my next question before we completely move on. The entire episode is not going to be about ice cream. Oh, I was like, no, we're, we're going to
1: have to stretch. We're going to have to stretch the topic.
0: Can you imagine?
1: macro. We're going to fill an hour about ice cream. The listener must be like, you listener, you must really love ice cream. <laughs> to sit through an hour of ice cream.
0: I wonder when you read the title or the description of an episode and then you listen and we spend like 10 minutes talking about something completely different, like that birthday episode, Jason, on your birthday, yeah, it started off with that. And then we got into something. What was it even about? It was not related to your birthday at all. We just kind of talked about your, but some people might like that. I mean, I like it when a podcast feels more conversational. That's the whole aim of our show is not to always be like, we're not giving a lecture you know at an event we're not presenting on a topic we're just talking and for anyone who's relatively new to our show that's our, that's our style you know news flash but it's also I think more like conversations go in general sometimes they start off like kind of soft surface level and then they get in really deep and so maybe that's just our, our natural flow
1: well I feel like in terms of that Whitney we're bookending it. That's what I wanted to say, where we start off with things that are a little more light and playful and exploratory and and freewheeling. And then, of course, we end. We don't want to spoil it, but for any new listeners, we have some really fun stuff at the very end of each episode. And in the middle, we fill it with maybe more introspective, serious, or contemplative topics.
0: Right. Okay, well, before we get to the serious stuff, I think we should also talk about our favorite store-bought brands a little bit more in depth because if the listeners outside of LA, we don't want them to feel left out, especially if they're in the US. And, you know, if you're in different countries, you actually can find a lot of non-dairy ice cream at different shops. I've traveled as a vegan. And most recently, a few years ago, I went to Greece and it was very easy to find ice cream at ice cream shops in most of the Greek cities that I was in. I mean, Sometimes it's just sorbet, which to me is not that exciting. However, you can get really good chocolate sorbet or mango sorbet, so it depends what you go for. I'm I'm more of a a chocolate lover than I am a fruit lover, so I don't get that excited about fruit sorbet. But even stores, I'm trying to think if there was a store bought ice cream in Greece. I don't recall, but I you know the UK and Australia and Canada they all have. Lots of great options. So, you know, our aim here is is not to make anyone feel like they're left out. I'm always afraid of that. (laughs) But in terms of store bought brand, we should talk about them too. I actually, going back to the mint chocolate chip statement, Jason, one of my favorite brands is So Delicious, and they have a ton of ice cream options, maybe more than any other brand that I can recall. And they have one of my favorite So Delicious flavors is their no sugar added line, which I'm kind of shocked has stood the test of time, to be honest. Like I remember trying that in 2011 or 2012, the packaging has barely changed. And I think it tastes the exact same and it's still there. But what's cool about that one is it technically falls into the keto diet. So when I was pretty strict vegan keto, I would buy that ice cream. Halo Top has a dairy-free option as well that's also vegan keto. Both of them are a little bit of stretch in terms of carb counts. But if you're looking for something that has no added sugar, they're really great options. And then there's a newer brand actually just on this note of vegan keto. Oh, it's called Nibucha. I was blanking on the name. It sounds like kombucha. And I feel like it's actually a base, if I recall correctly. It is based on Italian gelato or something, but it's also... I'll link to this in the show notes. So for anyone who's curious about all these brands, I'll make sure that we link to them at WellEvator.com. If you haven't been to our website yet, every single episode has an accompanying show notes with a transcript and a list of all of the different resources. And you can see all these different brands that we're shouting out. And so this new one, new wish at the time of this recording, I think is pronounced Nabucha. And if I, if I botched the name, I'm sorry. That's why the show notes are so helpful. But I believe it's like a gelato-like ice cream option. And it's readily available in Los Angeles. And, and again, if you go to their website, you can find where else you can buy them. And that is a vegan keto ice cream that is quite lovely and one of the better ones that I've had store-bought. So, oh, I didn't finish what I was going to say about So Delicious, which is... One of my favorite flavors of theirs is their mint chocolate chip, no sugar added. You've had that one, Jason. How does that rank in terms of mint chocolate chips?
1: It's not my favorite. It's okay. I think for me, I mean, overall, I really love So Delicious. To back up your point, I think that they have a lot of really innovative flavors. And I actually really tried... What did I try recently? Oh, their oat milk line that I guess came out recently. They have a a raspberry peanut butter flavor of their oat milk line, the So Delicious that I love. In terms of mint chocolate chip, though, store-bought, I'm going to go with Not-A-Moo. Not-A-Moo is coming through in the clutch. And also, lately, I'm going to say this, Not-A-Moo has been knocking me out with some really out-of-the-box flavors. Recently, I tried their strawberry cheesecake, and I tried their peach cobbler, and it was like, drop the spoon, holy crap, what am I tasting moment?
0: I love that description. <laughs> yeah, like like you know you
1: know that that moment where you're like, Bee? "What is this?" Like a Scooby moment. Their peach cobbler, their mint chip, and their strawberry cheesecake. And I also love Natamu. They're so sweet. Every time we see them at trade shows or conferences or whatever, they've always been so wonderful and so generous handing out free coupons. And I actually had the chance last year when I spoke at South by Southwest, the music and arts and entertainment festival to go to their ice cream shop in Austin, Texas, and it was so rad.
0: What, I don't remember you saying this, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna go right now, my top store-bought national brand. I think Nadamu is crushing it in terms of consistency, flavor, and like I said, really radical flavors. I mean, strawberry cheesecake, peach cobbler, it was one of those moments at the freezer aisle. You know this, because Whitney and I both, one of the things we love most, especially when we travel, is to go to natural food grocers that we've never been to before and just walk the aisles and look for new stuff. And recently I was at Lassen's here in LA, which is one one of our favorite chains, independent chains here in LA. We love to support independent stores whenever possible. And I saw those flavors wit and I was like, damn.
0: (laughs) It's funny you bring up the grocery thing because I've been editing The road trip video that we made in 2019. And so it's going to be coming out like a year after we recorded it. And one of the things that we do the most on that trip is go to different grocery stores. And so I'm really excited for that video to come out. I love it so much. There was one other, oh, I was going to mention Ben and Jerry's, which we can't leave them out of the conversation simply because it's really amazing that they offer plant based options now and they have a lot of options. Plus, They have some that are made from almond milk and some that are made from sunflower seeds, like sun butter. And I think that's really cool for somebody that has nut allergies or sensitivities. I actually am super sensitive to almonds. So I've been felt like left out of the Ben and Jerry's ice cream experience, not just because it's a lot of it is not vegan, but even the vegan options were something I could regularly enjoy. And so they just introduced the sun butter and their flavors, speaking of which, are incredible. I think the best one I've had is a Netflix and chill flavor, which they have oh dairy my and non-dairy. Oh, God. Yep. And I can't remember if that one was with the almond milk or not. Since I'm not allergic to almonds, sometimes I still try almond-based products, but I can only have like a few bites of it until I have a reaction to it. So, yeah, I can't remember. I think that one might have been an almond flavor but that is amazing. And then I felt like extra supportive of Ben and Jerry's when they came out with their black lives matter statements. They did one of the best jobs and like really great allies. And I don't think it was performative. A lot of people were praising the way that they responded to the black lives matter movement that has grown since George Floyd passed away. So yeah, it just made me feel like we got to, support brands like that, as we talked about in a recent episode, just really acknowledging the companies that are being allies and that are really advocating for racial justice. All right. Well, before we wrap this, the the other reason, first of all, I misspoke at the very beginning of this episode. Today is technically not National Ice Cream Day. It's this coming weekend. and. I wanted to give a heads up because maybe you're listening to this and you have a few days to plan. The cool thing about national days is that you can often get like special deals on these days. So I bet you that there's going to be a lot of sales on ice cream. There's going to be special deals at local shops. So Jason heads up for you too. Maybe you want to mark your calendar. I think this year it's July 19th every year. It's a little different. I think it always falls on like a Saturday or a Sunday. And go check it out because maybe one of your favorite scoop shops will have a special like buy one, get one free or 50% off or something like that. Get a free scoop. Who knows? Just a little nudge for you. Ice cream lovers. We got to celebrate those things. That's something that I've been thinking a lot about how if it's summertime, but it, it doesn't really feel like summer to me. Do you feel that way, Jason? I mean, I know it's you're still in your like birthday week period.
1: <laughs> yeah, more than month, birthday month. Because yeah. Well, it's it's an interesting thing you bring up, Whitney, because I feel like everything clearly has been modified. And I don't want to use terminology like the new normal. I really dislike that terminology and I feel like it's trying to subconsciously condition people to some frame of reality. But I, I do think that we've all had to shift how we are socializing and celebrating right so my birthday this year was really really chill as opposed to years past many celebrations you've been an orchestrator and a huge part of with surprise parties and big blowouts with you know nearly 100 people and all of the premier parties i mean you you and i have really had a wonderful amount of awesome party experiences over the years you know sweet birthdays and gatherings and things and I think I've just been extra reflective on all that because you talk about, does it feel like summer? I mean, in certain ways it doesn't, because I think I'm certainly accustomed to having a bigger, I guess, more grandiose celebration for my birthday with more people. You know how much I love to celebrate myself and I don't often do. So I take my birthday to do that, but I haven't been to the beach since God knows when may, I don't even know if I've been to the beach this year yet in LA, which is a huge part of summer haven't done a lot of hiking because they've closed the parks and the hiking trails on and off because of quarantine and COVID. So in some ways, it's requiring us to have more, I don't know, internal celebrations in a way. I I don't know. I think it's causing us to be more creative of how we celebrate ourselves, how we experience things. I am going to the beach to celebrate a friend of ours, their young daughter's birthday. It'll be that. Yeah, it'll be the first time I've been to the beach this year. So I don't, does it feel like summer? Does it feel like summer? I don't know. I don't know that anything feels like anything right now. That's a very meta existential statement, but things feel weird in general right now.
0: Absolutely. And I think what I mean by that is because it's July and the quarantine order started in March 2020, you know, we're going on this four month phase. And even though things have wavered and we've had moments of, Feeling like we're in the clear, and now we're back in a place where things got strict again, and everybody's kind of responding to it a little differently. Some people are sticking to the mask policies, some people are still really anti masks and and think that this is like some way of controlling us or whatever. You know, whatever your belief is, Jason and I aren't here to judge. I'm just saying from my experience that I've spent a lot of time inside and I've done a lot of physical distancing. I, I currently don't feel comfortable doing a lot of socializing. And it's caused me to spend a lot of time in kind of isolation. And I was just thinking the other day, gosh, you know, it's 80 something degrees outside. Like is the most I'm going to do during the summer is take a walk around the neighborhood by myself, you know, like it's exciting today. I'm going to run some errands and I'm like so excited about it, even though I'm going to like my PO box and to the dog store and dog store, meaning I have to pick up food for my dog, Evie. I'm not like going to buy a dog, <laughs> And then, yeah, like, I, um, it's like exciting to go and do normal things. I mean, speaking of going to grocery stores, that's always exciting to me. But these days, it's so exciting just to go out. You know what I mean? And in a way that I feel like I want to be more intentional about celebrating summer. I have been to the beach a few times during the quarantine period. We live in Los Angeles. I, we've mentioned that a few times. And I think a lot of people just associate... Southern California was being at the beach. But if you don't live at the beach, it can be a hassle to go there, especially in LA. It can be crowded and you have to deal with parking and it's kind of a a big ordeal. So we don't go as frequently as you might think. I think in terms of summer, I'm just trying to be intentional, like thinking back to what I did as a kid to celebrate summer, because that brings me a lot of joy. And before We have a a subject matter we want to get to, but I think the last thing we'll talk about before we jump into this, Jason, is I'd love to know what sort of things you like to do during the summer and what makes a good summer, what did when you were younger, what would you like to do more of? I can start, maybe give you some ideas. Reading is the first thing that comes to mind. And I've had so many amazing memories of just lounging around and reading for hours. And that's actually something I do every day. I actually have it on my calendar to read. I have a time block for reading articles on my computer. And then I have a time block for reading a book, which is usually on my iPad. And in a recent episode, we shouted out the brand Swanwick. I I wear my blue blocker glasses at night because I tend to like digital books over physical books, even though the experience of a physical book is a little bit more enjoyable So I've been reading every day. And so now I'm thinking like, okay, how can I switch things up to remind myself of summer? Like when I think about reading during summer breaks as a kid or teenager or college, it's like I would be cozied up and up against the window, you know, or in bed or something like that. And it felt like I had the whole day to do whatever I want. I kind of miss those moments. And I feel like I want to create more of them. And one tendency I have, and I think a lot of adults have, is we don't necessarily separate the weekends out from our weekdays, especially right now during quarantine, if you're working from home, as some of us generally do. But if this is new for you, it's tough because you think, all right, well, my home is my office. Like I can work anytime I want. And I feel like I need to separate out Saturdays and Sundays and really integrate more pleasure and, and personal activities and less of the professional work time, because that also is reminding me of summer, because when you're younger, summer, you associate with not having to work, you know, like you don't have homework, you don't have to get up early, you get to be with your friends, which we're not going to do as much right now, but we could have Zoom sessions or whatever else, or uh, physical distanced gatherings. So for you, Jason, what do you associate with summer and what do you think you could be more intentional about or have you been more intentional about to kind of evoke those fond summer memories for yourself?
1: I think the immediate thing, if I take a reminiscing jaunt back into childhood, it was gatherings. The first thing that I think of is how many wonderful cookouts and barbecues and and gatherings with family and friends and neighbors Growing up in Detroit, the house that I had, we we had a double lot. And basically all that means is there was a standardized yard size in Detroit. And we had we had a massive yard. I mean, even now, sometimes I drive by when I'm back home in Detroit just to see how the house is doing. And and it was just a I mean, it was a massive yard. So we would set up tables and chairs and we would have volleyball and badminton and basketball and I think one of the foundational things that I associate with like late spring and all throughout the summer is gatherings. And to me, that's, to be honest, it's been a difficult thing for me because this year I actually had a a birthday picnic gathering party that I had arranged and, and I canceled it. I decided to cancel it because a lot of people were expressing concern with the uptick and the spike in COVID cases and social distancing and a few people, a very, very tiny amount of people actually insisted on showing up and it was very sweet and we had a little socially distanced gathering, but a lot of people are still feeling very, very sensitive about any kind of gathering, you know, say beyond 10 or 15 people. So I think the big thing for me right now is trying to satisfy my desire for human connection. And certainly, yes, we have FaceTime and Zoom and phone calls. And, and one of the biggest things that I've loved is having a more consistent line of communication with a lot of people I I suppose I hadn't talked to that much in the past few years. It's been lovely. But I just, I miss being physically present with people. So as an aside, I guess one thing that I'm trying to do and one thing that people offered to do because the birthday gathering got canceled is to meet them for socially distanced, like one-on-one time. So actually the rest of this month, I have some dates scheduled with dear friends that are like, hey, Let's get together and grab a matcha and and go for a socially distanced walk, or let's go to the market and have a little lunch on my rooftop or whatever. So, the cool thing is, it's not everyone gathering in the same yard or the same park as I had hoped, but I do get to see a lot of the people that I love. And I mean, I keep saying it, we're all just making lemonade right now. You know, a lot of the things that we intend on doing and a lot of the things that I guess we're envisioning, we just have to modify and, and think creatively and think differently. But gatherings are the number one thing, cookouts too, grilling. You know, like I remember in years past, you know, you and I would have these gatherings with friends. I remember one time at a few years back at my loft in Koreatown, we had that grill outside and we invited everybody over for Beyond Burgers and we had that amazing cookout. And so that's that's another aspect I miss too, is just like, I don't know, I guess I've always bonded with people through food and games and gatherings. And I want to think more creatively about how I can satisfy that desire for connection with without being able to get like large groups of people together right now.
0: For sure. I think that's really important is that we really reflect on what feels good to us and how we can make that happen, even if there are barriers to it. And just being intentional, as I've said that a few times, but that's really key is I think as we've done a lot of research around how to support people through all this chaos. And speaking of chaos, Jason and I have a free ebook you can download. It's called From Chaos to Calm. And that's on our website, wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. And it's in the free resources section amongst a few e-books that we've created and videos and lots of things for you to support your well-being. And as we were working on that book and I was doing a lot of research, I kept seeing that same advice come up over and over again when it came to managing things like anxiety. And a huge part of it is that we need to Be mindful of doing things that bring us joy and finding a way to tap back into sources of joy that felt like they may have changed a lot, or some of us might perceive them as being taken away. One of the tips that we have in our ebook is this glass half full technique. And there's another tip in there about socializing and how we just have to first begin with, okay, what is it that feels important to us and why? what is it that we really want? How can we get it? And how can we reframe the things that are feeling disappointing to us or frustrating or negative? And how can we kind of learn from that or adjust in a way that makes us feel really good? So I'm glad that you brought that up, Jason. I think that's something a lot of people are navigating right now. So I think that we should dive into one of the things that we wanted to address today, which was a email that we received. And by the way, for you, the listener, we are really appreciative of any emails that we receive or direct messages on social media networks like Instagram. And so if you ever want to write us an email or send us a direct message, we're really easy to reach. All of our contact information is on our website. Our email is hello at and our social media handle is at WellEvator. And again, that's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. And we'll keep this person anonymous. We always do unless they directly say that we don't need to keep them <laughs> anonymous. We just want to protect your privacy as much as possible. So this woman said that she's been following our work for a while And has not listened to the podcast yet. So maybe this will be a good opportunity for her too. Because this is how we really want to respond. And she said that Jason was one of the first food videos and social media that she started watching and following when she went vegan eight years ago. That's pretty cool, Jason.
1: It shows you (laughs) how long we've been in this game. Eight years ago, it's like, oh, wow, right. No, it's, it's very sweet to get that feedback. But also it's like, holy crap, we've been making videos a long time.
0: I mean 8 years doesn't feel that long especially cuz we've been doing it for over 10.
1: I guess it doesn't but if I think about what what my life was in 2012 it does feel like ages ago. Like if I feel like where I was at and what I was doing in 2012 like this summer of 2012 feels like ages ago.
0: It's so funny you bring that up because I've been getting a few things have been coming up for me related to 2012 and I went on a a big road trip, my first cross country road trip in 2012. And I'm actually looking for photos that we can put in in the show notes. So another reason to go check out the show notes at welllevator.com is different imagery. And so I'm going to pull like a bunch of different images of me and Jason from June, July, and August, like summertime things since that's been a big theme. But going back to this email, this woman said, I'm still the only vegan in my family and have been living with two family members that don't respect my vegan lifestyle. It's an everyday thing that I have learned to tolerate. I've gotten to the point where I distance myself and try not to let it affect me, even though it still does sometimes. What are your recommendations for something like this while I'm still in my current situation? I'm just feeling like I have no support system and it's had an effect on me. There are very few people I see and I'm around every single day. And she also asked, Is this a common question? And it absolutely is. I, I know that I have addressed this in my own work with Eco Vegan Gal, but I haven't talked about it recently. I've certainly struggled with it. And Jason, I imagine that you have as well. So, what are some tips? How have you personally managed this, Jason? And then, what would be your advice for someone who struggles to live with family members that don't respect? a vegan lifestyle. I know that you don't have super direct experience with that because your mom is your main family member and also your aunt and cousins, I think, right? You're very close to each of them and all of them, if not just some of them are vegan. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So when I, when I went vegan and adopted a fully plant-based lifestyle in May of 98, my mom did it a few months after. You know, She very quickly transitioned also and so my mom has been, of course, an ally in not only helping guide my career and and really has been a wonderful cheerleader and supporter in so many ways, you know, mentally, emotionally, creatively, financially. I mean, my mom's been in full support the whole time. It took a longer amount of time for other family members to get turned on to that. And here's what I mean by that. You know, We obviously had family dinners and family gatherings as a real crux of certainly my mom's side of the family. And I mentioned this in the Father's Day episode that you can check out at wellevator.com, that in the early days when my dad was around, we also had big food family gatherings with his side of the family. So food and gatherings has always been, I suppose, an anchor in my family experience. And it's probably one of the reasons I love food so much. Working on changing people's minds, I remember in the beginning trying to explain to you know, my aunt and my cousins and some extended members of the family of like, why I'm doing this, why I'm choosing this. And I think like a lot of people in the early days of perhaps going plant-based or vegan, you can tend to be a little overzealous. And I think I was a little too, <laughs> I don't know, forceful or overzealous about my newfound beliefs. But what I did find that was effective when I got pushback, and when I say pushback, the extended members of my family were never mean or callous or cruel or you know making offhanded comments they were just a bit like why are you doing like what is this this is did you join a cult like what what is this i think they were more confused and stultified than anything but i found that instead of trying to force them to accept me the way i was and this is one of the reasons i got into food as a career is i realized that learning how to make food and i was very intentional about this you know i remember in the early days my mom was really helping me convert a lot of old recipes, old family recipes, and I guess just old meat-based, animal-based recipes in general and learning how to make them vegan. Once I did that and started to get better and better at making food, I started to let the food do the talking. And I found that with my family and then by extension, friends of mine, and, and certainly over the last 15 years doing it professionally, that if you make really good food, that does most of the talking. It's it's not going to convince someone overnight. It's not going to convince someone to stop making offhanded comments or be immediately supportive of your lifestyle. But in my experience, I found that instead of trying to talk people into seeing my way, making incredibly tasting, good, delicious food that also happened to be vegan, to me was, I think, how it started to open the eyes of my aunt, my cousins. My one uncle is starting to eat more and more healthy food now. And I think if you just make kick-ass food and you make it amazing and you let that do the talking for you and stay firm in your beliefs and what your heart is telling you to do, that, that's what I did. And now, as you mentioned, with not only my mom, but my cousin, Jenny, my cousin, Steve, my aunt, Mary Lou, my uncle, Bill, a little bit, you know, they're all doing great and eating plant-based and eating healthier. So that was my strategy. And that's what I found was effective.
0: Hmm. I'm reflecting on this as well. And I think it really depends on your dynamic with your family members, you know, Jason is blessed to have a really great relationship with his mom and other extended family. And I have a good relationship with my parents, but I've also felt a lot in my life that I was being judged by them or I was never good enough for them. And so that's created a lot of tension throughout my life. And it's hard to say, like sometimes that's kind of like in our heads and not to diminish it, but like sometimes that's just the story that we play with anybody. It's like, oh, I'm never good enough. I'm never going to please this person. And, and sometimes it's either a combination or the result of feeling a lot of shame from certain people in your life or not supported by them or the culture in which you're living in. And that can be really tough. So for me, I felt very fortunate that for the most part, my family has been supportive of me, but I felt like food has been a for us in a lot of ways. Growing up, I struggled with an eating disorder or disordered eating, as I prefer to say it. And so it felt really challenging to navigate food in general. And going vegan actually helped me in a lot of ways. I felt like I better understood food. Once I learned about the plant-based diet, I understood nutrition in a new way. I felt like I was tapping into some of my food sensitivities, as I mentioned, things like almonds and gluten and corn and soy, all of those things I discovered through going vegan, that, which is funny because those are all big staples of the vegan diet, but it was kind of like the process of elimination. So once I eliminated dairy and meat and other animal products, I became more attuned to my body. But before that I wasn't very in tune with it and I just felt really out of control and, it was tough because i felt a lot of shame around my body and that was like a big dynamic in my family system and i still think it is for the most part and so each of us have to kind of examine what's going on there and how the role that food plays being vegan is not just about food of course it's about your whole lifestyle but food is at the center point of veganism for a lot of people we we think a lot about our diet and then we start to think about other things that we purchase and use and our relationships with animals and so with food being such a big thing when i first went vegan my family members were confused by it i guess like they didn't think it was going to last and i had to set really strong boundaries and say like no i'm not eating this food anymore and my dad was or still is actually the person in the household that would make most of the meals so i had to instruct him about what i would would and wouldn't eat and so I think probably in the beginning, I would just eat around fish or whatever else was on the plate. And I got really passionate about it. And obviously, enough where I created a whole career based on this with my work with Eco Vegan Gal. But I, in the beginning years, because w- when I went vegan in 2003, I didn't start Eco Vegan Gal to, to, until 2008. That five year period, I spent a lot of time reading and researching and trying to meet more vegans, but I actually didn't know that many. I don't think my vegan social circle really started to develop until like 2010. So my first 7 years it was like I was the only vegan in my family but also my friend circle and I slowly started to meet more people. And then I was in college when I went vegan. So it was only like a limited amount of time that I was spending with my family. I think it's a different situation right now if you're In quarantine with family members, I'm sure the stress of COVID in general is tough. But if you're spending extra amounts of time with them, similar to how you would if you're a teenager in high school or something, or just living with your family, however that is, I imagine that the pressure of that is intense in a way that Jason and I can't fully relate to because I don't think either of us have spent a condensed amount of time with our family members since, at least in the early days of going vegan. But I certainly have found like when I'm visiting my family for a few weeks or sometimes as long as a month or two, it's interesting. One thing I've learned is not to judge them for what they're eating. I think that has been the biggest struggle and the biggest learning opportunity for me is to pay them the respect that I want them to pay me. And if they don't pay that respect to me, which has happened not so much with my direct family, my parents and my sister as much as maybe in the beginning it did, but it hasn't been an issue in a while. But I found it like extended family members giving me a hard time about it. A lot of people just like to tease me. I think that's like one of the big things is I think the way that some people handle their discomfort is that they deflect it or they show it in like a joking way, you know, like, oh, well, that's the vegan. Like, ooh, you're going to eat your special food or, ugh, that food looks disgusting. It's nowhere near as mine. Or I'm going to sneak some meat into your salad when you're not looking. You know, like a lot of those type of jokes, I've, I've heard so much. I'm sure Jason has too. And those can be really tough to navigate. I mean, even though you can sit there and logically think, oh, they're just joking and, oh, I just need to let it roll off my back it can be very, very triggering. And it certainly triggered me off and on throughout the years, whether it's coming from family or friends or strangers, there's kind of like two different ways I've handled it actually. One way is to take a lot of deep breaths. I mean, if you want to work on yourself, deep breaths are one of the best things that you can do. This is actually something we bring up. And I think it's the second technique that we share in our book from calm to chaos. And It's probably one of the most powerful things that I've ever learned in my life, which is simply deep breathing in moments of stress and tension, because that brings you internally versus focusing on what's happening externally. And it's very calming to the body. So if you find like your heart racing or your skin flushing, which is often a reaction that we have when we're feeling angry or shame or something like that, based on what somebody else is saying or doing to us. Breathing helps us be more centered and balanced. It calms down our bodies. And it immediately gets us to focus on ourselves versus somebody else. And when you do that, you can remember in that moment that it just doesn't matter what this person is saying or doing, because you're the one making the choice to be vegan, not them.
1: It's also important to take a moment to stop and do this breathing. Like, It's as simple as like you find yourself getting angry or triggered or incensed at someone. You just take a deep breath. And it allows you, I wanted to say this, to respond rather than react to them. Because if they're being aggressive or antagonistic and you react to that, there's no movement and there's no progress. A reaction and then reacting back to a reaction doesn't create any forward progress with that person.
0: Exactly. And... I think that's one of our biggest practices in life is learning how we want to react to things. I mean, breathing is a reaction and it's just such a simple thing that you can do. And you can also do it in a way that's not as obvious. I mean, sometimes it's like you want to close your eyes and take a deep breath, but, but that pause not only gives you space, but it gives that other person space. And sometimes in your act of taking a deep breath, and it it doesn't have to be super dramatic. I think Jason is doing it loudly. I I think it's important to tune in to how you're affecting that other person. Sometimes we can be manipulative. And so if you can try not to manipulate them, that actually helps diffuse the energy, right? If you can take a quiet, deep breath, and, and I mean, this is actually Breathing is something that we do naturally. We have to breathe, but there are all different types of breath work that you can do. And you can actually go to breath work classes or take them online. And you learn a lot of this in yoga. And there's different ways to breathe in your belly and in your chest. And you can breathe loudly or quietly. You can breathe with your mouth closed or your mouth open. I mean, you can experiment with this. You might even want to do it right now. Just whenever I talk about breath work or think about it, I naturally start to practice And it just feels so good. So it really is something you can do in this moment as you're listening to us and just experiment with different ways of breathing. Anyways, my point is, if you can do it in a way that's more subtle, the other person is going to notice that you're not talking or reacting, but you don't have to do it in a way that they think that you're doing it to irritate them, right? So I get triggered sometimes when I hear people taking deep breaths because I feel like, That's their sign that they're annoyed with me, or that's their sign that they're stressed out, and I start to worry I did something wrong, right? If you can breathe in a way that doesn't really communicate anything except for silence, then that silence gives that person the space to reflect on their actions. And oftentimes, when you're intentionally and kindly silent again, not being silent to be passive aggressive but silent to take a moment for yourself. The other person just will naturally take a moment for themselves and they might realize that what they said or did was hurtful to you. And it gives them a chance to reflect on it. It's just the, the key is to not be attached to how they react in that moment. <laughs> you kind of just leave that space open for whatever is going to happen. And there's a lot of interesting things that can shift in that. So I think that was number one in terms of a response. The second way that you can respond to somebody in my experience is to let them know that it hurt you or bothered you and set a boundary with them and do it in the most compassionate way you possibly can. Again, not coming from a place of aggression or passive aggression, but being assertive. There's a wonderful book about this. I will link to it in the show notes. I forget the exact title has the word assertive in it. I read it recently and it taught me a lot about what it means to be assertive and how a lot of us need to practice that and how much it can aid our communication. And that's the big key here is if we can assert our feelings, if we can assert how somebody is affecting us and how we would like them to act, treat us differently, then we can be very clear with them and communicate our feelings clearly in a way that they can really understand. And that may change things. It's also, as I said, not being attached to changing the way that they act because you can't control that. And somebody's reaction to your veganism is a lot more about them than you. This is true about anything, right? But some people are just triggered because maybe your veganism is showing them that their way of life might not be fully in their integrity. I mean, a lot of people are eating animal products simply because that's the way they are raised or that's what they think that they like. That's what they have access to. They don't realize they have access to other things. I mean, there's a lot of different factors that go into this. And we've talked a lot about in our previous episode about how being white is that privilege. And that's often tied to health and wellness. So we certainly don't want to assume that everybody has access to the same things, but We have seen people of all different colors, races, ethnicities, genders, sexual preferences, locations around the world, as we talked about earlier, we see people of diversity choosing to go vegan and making it work. So we feel confident in suggesting that. But my point here is that somebody may not have yet figured out their path to going vegan if they even want to, right? Because not everybody wants to do it. But not everybody has even like taken that first step of recognizing the way that they're eating and that there's a different way, if that makes sense. There, you have to kind of make that cognitive connection first and foremost. And you you may have made that years ago. And maybe you slowly made your transition to eating vegan, right? I mean, you have to recognize your path, but not everybody is going to do it in the same way or at the same pace as you. They just might be at a completely different spot with their relationship to food because it's such a complex issue.
1: Right. I think that the phrase that comes up for me is sometimes when we get frustrated or angry or irritated with someone's response, which again, says a lot about where they're at in their current state of awareness, consciousness or acceptance is it's akin to looking at a newborn baby and saying to that newborn baby, why aren't you walking yet? And to me, that analogy holds a lot of weight because people are at different levels of awareness and consciousness and sensitivity and compassion. And I think if we blow out this situation, Whitney, to someone choosing to eat vegan and having pushback or non-acceptance from their family members, to me, it's very similar. Fundamentally speaking, it's not the same. It's similar fundamentally to someone being not accepted for their sexuality or their chosen gender that they're choosing to identify with or their spiritual beliefs. And I've had certainly a a lot of friends and girlfriends and, and just a lot of people in my life that have chosen things that are not so mainstream from their eating habits to their lifestyle, to their sexuality, to, and I don't even think sexuality is something you choose. I want to say that first and foremost, not, not to get that confused with, but announcing to their family that they are this thing and having a lot of pushback and resistance. And it's important to remember, and this is very hard work, this is not easy, to want so badly the acceptance and approval of our parents. I think that's a very natural thing. Our family, the people that we hold in high regard, the people that we have a deep amount of connection to, We, I think it's natural as humans to want approval and acceptance of who we are as beings. I think that's a natural instinct. But we can't guarantee we're going to get that approval, again, because Our family, our friends, the people we surround ourselves are not at the same level of doing the work on themselves to understand and feel compassion and acceptance for lifestyles, sexuality, spiritual beliefs that are different than what they've chosen. And I have a lot of hope and faith in the world that right now we're in a period of massive awakening that people are going like, oh, wait, I don't have to feel threatened. I don't have to feel reactionary because someone's choosing something different than me, because it actually has no direct effect on how I'm living my life. And I do hope that more people make that connection, that how a person chooses to eat, live, worship, love, express themselves, doesn't take away from how you're choosing to live your life. You know, it doesn't dilute that, it doesn't threaten it. And I just hope more people are waking up to that realization
0: absolutely and to kind of summarize this i think it's it's a complex situation each of us handle it in different ways there's a lot of different dynamics at play and it's not a simple thing as saying oh just don't let it bother you i actually think that's one of the worst pieces of advice that you can receive for a situation like this i really think the biggest key on a deeper level is to be clear on why you chose to be vegan feel confident in that choice and really pay attention to what people are saying and doing around you and how it's affecting you. I mean, you might just want to kindly end a conversation or leave an interaction and go journal about it. And through that journaling that you can work through your emotions, which should make you feel better, and then get clarity on, on what's triggering you and why, how is it making you feel? And that simple act may actually be the answer for you. But through that process of self-discovery, you can then communicate to other people your feelings a little bit better. And most of the time, our family members really love us deeply and want the best for us. They just might not feel like they understand us. So if you can play a role in helping them understand you a little bit more, maybe that can change some of the dynamic. How would you summarize your advice for this situation, Jason?
1: I think be in alignment with what your heart and your mind and your spirit is telling you to do. Don't let other people convince you out of what you know in your heart is to be true for yourself. That's number one. Number two, be patient with people and realize that they're not at the same level of understanding, awareness, compassion, or working on themselves. And that requires a lot of patience and a lot of acceptance. And You can't expect someone to accept you for who you are. This requires a lot of strength. This requires a lot of courage in you living a life that is authentic to yourself when the people you are with, be they family, friends, colleagues, business people, don't relate and don't accept who you are. This is one of the probably things that require the most strength in life is to live in a way and be in a way that is in alignment with yourself that people around you don't understand. And so I'm not saying this is easier for the faint It requires a lot of courage and steadfastness and heart to be able to do this. But ultimately, if we can practice removing ourselves from the attachment of needing their acceptance, also hard work. But I think ultimately with living from a place of our own center, whatever our choice is and whatever who it is we choose to be, I think is probably one of the most important things of the human experience. Like this is really... What we're talking about right now, not in the context of veganism, again, blowing this out to spirituality, sexuality, gender, political affiliation, whatever it is that you and your heart feel is true for you. Like really not your ego. I want to say that too, because it's the ego is very sly and very tricky We oh, this is what I believe in my heart. But oftentimes it's the ego talking, but we really get down to like what the heart and the soul and your gut is saying, this is right for me. That's not an easy path to walk. And so I just want to commend the person who wrote this email to us and anyone who's listening. If you feel pushback, resistance, confusion, non-acceptance from your family, friends, loved ones, um, if you know and what your heart to be true, keep walking that path. And I just, I salute you and acknowledge you for that. It's, it's not an easy thing to do in this world.
0: And thank you so much to the person that wrote us that email. And hopefully this provides a nice answer to that. And a reminder to other listeners that we are here for you and we love getting your questions and topic requests. And again, if you want to share it with us and you don't want your name shared, we usually don't share names again, unless somebody specifically says they want us to share their name. We love hearing from you. So you can reach us via email at hello at wellevator.com or direct message at wellevator on Instagram, Facebook, and some other platforms on social media. Well, as we promised at the end of the episode, we do something fun before we officially wrap up. So one last reminder, if you want the show notes for this episode and every single episode, we have resources for you, everything that we've mentioned. If you're curious about it, you can go to WellEvator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Go to the podcast section, or you can just go directly podcast.WellEvator.com. And you'll find everything that we've discussed today. And you can check out other episodes too. You can subscribe to our episodes easily and leave a review. There's actually instructions on our website if you want to leave us a review on iTunes to help other people find our show. That's a really helpful thing. And part of the fun of having those show notes is that we get indexed by Google. And so one thing we've been doing for the last few weeks is called Frequently Asked Queries. And these are things that have come up through Google Analytics, we have a whole episode explaining this that we can link to if you haven't listened to it yet. It talks about how Google Analytics works, and also our friends over at Fathom Analytics, Paul Jarvis, who we had as a guest. An alternative we like to shout that out too because not everybody enjoys what Google does, although it's very handy and accessible. And anyways, we use Google Analytics currently, and I go on there and research what people are searching for to find our show and often get some really interesting subject. I also use a website called Exploding Topics to see what things are popular right now. And out of curiosity, there's a lot of really fascinating things that people search for online. And so the very first thing actually comes from Exploding Topics and ties back into the beginning of this episode, which was very much about sweets. And I thought this was interesting. This also ties into something we like to do on our show, which is to shout out our favorite brands and give them some love, talk about our experience with them. We did that a lot at the beginning with these ice cream companies. And another sweet company that I like that for some reason is very popular online right now for who knows why, but it's a company called Smart Sweets and they make reduced sugar candy. Some of their products are plant-based, not all by the way. So be sure that you check the label to see which are vegan. Um, they have delicious Swedish fish alternatives. <laughs> they have peach gummy rings that are making my mouth water just thinking about them. And they have one other. Oh, they have that one that's kind of like a vegan sour patch kid. <laughs> that's really good. They also have some smart chews, which I think are kind of like starbursts. I don't know. if I think those might be vegan. I'm looking at the label right now and I It's a little too blurred out. I do know for sure that sadly their gummy bears are not vegan. But anyways, this brand is trending online right now. And we were talking a lot about different candies and also vegan keto. So while I was really strict on the keto diet, I really loved the Smart Sweets brand because I could have this like candy experience. And it's only three grams of sugar. I forget what the total carb count is, but if you go if you know, go on their website, it says it might be like, I feel like seven to nine grams of carbs. It's not super low, but you can enjoy the whole bag and have that candy-like experience, which is great for holidays like Halloween or the summertime, or if you want to share it with some children, that's an option too, if you're trying to cut back on sugar with them. So maybe that's why they're trending right now. And Jason, what do you think of Smart Sweets? I think you like them too, right?
1: Yeah, I do. I've sampled a lot of their stuff. I think you you're more up on like the conscious candy brands. That's I don't even know if that's a phrase I just pulled that on my ass. Conscious candy. <laughs> but I think it's because it's interesting. You know, I'm not obviously vegan keto, although over the last probably 3 years since about 2017 when I launched my My Healthy Hustle course that we will link to in the show notes as well. I've really made a conscientious difference in reducing my sugar intake. I'm by no means sugar-free. I don't want to say that, but I have been doing a lot more monk fruit. One of our favorite brands is Lakanto, doing a lot more stevia products and alternative sweeteners, whole food sweeteners like date syrup, although it's not necessarily low glycemic, but I've noticed just kind of like tie this all back in Whitney, the concept of sweets. Sometimes I'll have gluten-free organic vegan sweets that are just like way too much sugar and my body immediately is like, I don't want this. You know, my body will literally tell me like, nope, no, 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 we don't want this. So it's interesting we're bringing this up because I find that my sensitivity to different sweeteners and sugars is much more acute than it's ever been.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, thinking about the vegan journey, because a lot of people go vegan and they end up eating a lot of vegan junk food. And there's no judgment to that, really. I mean, we're not on a pedestal here trying to promote a certain way of eating It's just, we personally really like more of the unprocessed low glycemic foods and there's a lot of health benefits to that too. I wrote a book about the vegan keto diet. So to show people that you can do the two together because keto is such a huge trend right now and you can do it without any animal products. And that introduced me to a lot of great companies, but I, I knew about a lot of these companies before I even did keto because similar to Jason, I was looking for ways to cut back and... I really feel like the more intentional I am about avoiding sweets, the easier it becomes to naturally stray away from them versus when I just allow myself to indulge a lot. Like I I found this actually at the beginning of quarantine, and I bet a lot of people can relate to this. I was feeling stress about COVID. And so I just allowed myself to eat whatever I wanted. And I think that's great. I'm a big fan of intuitive eating, actually. I think that's especially working through the disordered eating that I had when I was younger and and still plays a role in my life in some ways. Intuitive eating is a really healing way of looking at food. And so I was doing a lot of that. I still do it. But similar to what Jason's saying, with sugar, I can get into that addictive state of mind. And if I am not intentional about sugar, I will eat a lot of it. And then I don't feel good. And then it causes this whole ripple effect, not just for my physical health, but my mental and emotional health. And so sugar is one of those things that's tricky for me. But I think Jason and I agree on the fact for you, the listener, we talk about things, but we're not trying to convince you to eat one way or another. And that's really important for me to always state even though I've done keto, I'm not telling everyone to be keto. We're not telling everyone to be vegan. Like we bring this stuff up for personal experiences, but we never want you to feel shamed about food. So when I bring up smart sweets, like you just look at the pros and cons, give them a try. But if they don't work for you, like, so be it. <laughs> There's so many amazing conscious candies out there, as Jason was saying, which you have to define your what conscious means to you, I suppose. All right, should we bring up a few other queries before we wrap today, Jason?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, so what we usually do is a brand shout out, something funny, something serious, something interesting. For sake of time today, let me see here. I have my little list to go through. This one was really interesting. This is a new one for us. I don't know what this means, but Jason, off the top of your head, when you hear the phrase croissant sketch, what does that mean for you?
1: I don't know, but I remember bringing up very recently in one of our recent episodes <laughs> that I, I very much wanted a gluten-free chocolate vegan croissant, <laughs> croissant, and you would you're like, that's really specific. So apparently someone else was looking for croissants. I have no idea what a croissant sketch is, like a still life sketch of a croissant. Like that's a very oh. specific piece of art to look for. Maybe that.
0: I thought they meant a sketch like, sketchy like a performance.
1: Oh, no. oh, oh, oh but they were doing oh. a
0: performance about a
1: I thought they were looking for like <laughs> places to get sketchy croissants. I'm like, <laughs> where would you go for like yeah, there was this place like in a dark alley in Paris and like oh we've got discount croissants. Hey, hey, hey. That was a very bad Im- impression of a French person, by the way. I apologize. But my mind went to sketchy croissants. And why would you want to invest in a sketchy croissant? You would want the highest quality croissant, like nice and flaky and warm. And
0: But they maybe were looking, maybe there's like um, a sketch comedy about a croissant that they were looking for.
1: Also so specific. I, I feel like now, <laughs> after this episode, I need to go on and look just that phrase and see what comes yep. up.
0: I know this is part of the fun of it, right? Well, we've kind of run out of the time that we had to record today, so we're going to save some of the other fun queries for another episode. But there's oh, when you brought up the French accent, I was thinking about how I've been really encouraging Jason to watch Hamilton. I became a big Hamilton fan like many people I'm sure over 4th of July weekend when it became available on Disney Plus. I was very skeptical of it. But I thought, what the heck? I have nothing else I'm excited to watch this weekend. I watched it, I think the day it came out, which was Friday, the 3rd of July. And I became a- obsessed with it very quickly. I've already watched it a second time and I've been listening to the album every day. And when you brought up the French accent, Jason, that reminds me of there's a, at least one French character in the show that's amazing. He's actually one of my favorites. And um I think his name's Lafayette. Anyways, that's an, a little note to end on. I'm going to continue to encourage Jason to watch Hamilton. And for anyone else who hasn't watched it, it's worth just checking out. You know, you may not love it as much as I did, but I, I think it's interesting to see the cultural phenomenon it's become and it actually has a diverse cast and a great message. There's a lot of US history that's interesting to explore. It's entertaining and, and it's also awe-inspiring just as these actors and just everybody involved with making that production. It, it really blew my mind and I think it's, it's a feel-good show. So check it out. And if you also love Hamilton as much as I have, we can have a conversation. You can hit us up on social media and tell us about your Hamilton favorite characters or favorite songs I would love to know. I think my current favorite song, ooh, it actually changed in the past day or so there's a song i think it's called one shot it's my shot it's the third song if you're looking at the album my shot that one i really really like and then the other song that's kind of tied for first place and favorite song is the room where it happens which is in the second act of the show or the second half of the show i think Those songs are amazing. And so I've been listening to the album on repeat and singing a lot. And Jason, I really can't wait to hear what you think of it when you finally watch it.
1: I'm going to indulge this week. It is part of the to-do list. So this week it's happening. Can't wait. Yes, 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 yes.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And we look forward to hearing from you via email, through social media the comment section on the show notes at podcast.wellevator.com. That is our hub. And please subscribe. We have new episodes three times a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. On Fridays, we usually have a guest join us to discuss different elements of well-being and lifestyle personally and professionally. And we look forward to your questions and topic requests as well so we can integrate what you love into the show. And until next time, we're wishing you the very best with your well-being. Thanks so much for listening.